0: Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Screen Facts with Jason Davis podcast. In each episode, we talk about a movie, we share some fun trivia facts. You can check out the latest episode of the podcast on Wednesdays. Please like us at facebook.com slash screenfacts and post your comments or questions. You can also email us screenfacts at yahoo.com or send me a tweet at Jason Davis Voice. To access past episodes, please visit jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. And now that we've gotten that out of the way, I'm happy to welcome back to the show my good pal, one of the most influential people in my life that I can think of, the one and only Les Sinclair. Hello, sir.
1: Hello, sir, and thank you very much. That's very kind of <laughs> you.
0: I'm actually getting better at this, because usually when we do the podcast, I'll do a, an hour-long intro of you <laughs> <laughs> talking about how much you mean to me and, and uh, the impact <laughs> you've had on my life. So well, i was glad the, you didn't do that this time. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're probably tired of hearing it, right? Well, I have heard it. <laughs>
1: and I, I, I do appreciate it. I mean, that's not the thing. I don't know what to say about it. I'm I blushing. Know. So there it is.
0: I appreciate you, too. You're a magnificent human being. Oh, stop. <laughs>
1: Love Fest continues.
0: Yes, indeed. <laughs> so, Les, you and I are going to talk about a sort of more recent movie, although it's almost 10 years old, which is amazing to me. incredible. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's that old, this movie. But we're going to discuss The Dark Knight. And uh, before we get started and talk about The Dark Knight, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the recent passing of Adam West, the original film or TV Batman. I say film, obviously he was the TV Batman, but he he was the first, I guess, live action Batman. That's what I was trying to say. They shot TV on film back then. Yes, they did. But I don't want people going, he was on TV, you moron. It was also in full color, which was unusual for a show in the 1960s. That's right. I remember the uh, opening sequence, Batman in color. And there was a film version of Batman too, with him. Uh, Is that true? Well, I don't know if it was theatrically released. I believe it was, uh, maybe it was the pilot. Mm-hmm. I have a Blu-ray of, it's like a standalone movie, hour and a half, whatever, of basically the Batman TV show in like a movie. So, was it as campy as uh, the TV show? Hell yeah. Yeah, it was like, um, you know, the bat shark repellent, that kind of stuff. It was silly. You know, like the show, but but yeah, listen, you and I are about the same age, young enough where we didn't see the original Batman show when it first aired. I don't know about you, but I definitely grew up watching the reruns of this. Uh, for me, it was Channel 11 WPIX in New York <laughs> in syndication.
1: Yeah, it was a great TV show. Honestly, yeah, it was very fundamental as a child. I think, yeah, it was fantastic. As and into my teens, as a matter of fact, because the thing was in reruns all the time, and you know, you'd catch it and watch it, and it it meant different things. I think when we were little kids, it was the hero, even though it was campy. And then as you get to be a teenager, it just becomes more campy. And then right. you get to be an adult, and you start to appreciate the campiness of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but
0: Julie Newmar as Catwoman Oh yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> All the Catwomen were awesome. Just but just they were just awesome. Catwomen were fantastic. Oh, absolutely. You know, I remember watching the show and and like you said, not really even recognizing the campiness. It was just cool. It was Batman, it was Robin, it was the whole thing. And then when the 1989 Batman movie came out with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton did sort of a darker play on it, and it was kind of different. And then Yes. Christopher Nolan does his Batman series and it makes Tim Burton's movie look campy.
1: Most of the women that I talk to really like the original Batman movies, the okay. Tim Burton's, even through George Clooney, the women seem to be drawn to those. Interesting. I always thought they were kind of cartoonish. Yes. And and when I had the discussion, I, I was just talking about that this weekend with my morning show host, Sherry Taylor, because I was telling her I was going to be on this podcast, we were talking about this movie, okay. and she was saying how much she liked the originals, and my wife also likes them a lot. and there are other women that I've talked to and I don't know what it is but for me I like the grittier version because it's more like the comic book.
0: Yeah I was never a comic book reader and I didn't really know much about the character and how he is a very dark character and that was sort of explored a little bit in Tim Burton's version but definitely in these Christopher Nolan films he takes it to the whole different level and I one other thing I wanted to mention, The Dark Knight is a sequel, and this is the first time on the podcast that you and I or me and anybody else is talking about a sequel without talking about the original movie, which oh, I think is cool. kind of interesting.
1: I think where you're leading is that this is such a impactful movie. I yeah. mean, it won Academy Awards.
0: Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, this is not only the best Batman movie, arguably this is one of the best superhero movies ever made, in my opinion.
1: It was the first superhero movie to make a billion dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about all the numbers in just a little bit. This made a shitload of money. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. So The Dark Knight released July 18th, 2008. Stars Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, and, and we're going to have a lot to talk about with him coming up. Aaron Eckhart, who I think is a very underrated actor. Terrific. Yes. Michael Caine, Maggie Joan Hall, Gary Oldman, and Morgan Freeman. Directed by Christopher Nolan. Screenplay written by Jonathan and Christopher Nolan. Story by Christopher Nolan, and David S. Goyer, based on characters by Bob Kane. Estimated budget one hundred eighty five million dollars. Domestic gross five hundred thirty five million. Worldwide, as Les just mentioned, one point four billion dollars. Yeah the number one Batman movie, the number two comic book movie behind The Avengers, and number six on the list of all-time highest domestic grossing films behind Marvel's The Avengers, Jurassic World, Titanic, Avatar, and Star Wars The Force Awakens, numbers five through one, respectively.
1: I must weigh in on this, though. Okay. Because as superhero movies go, The Avengers is not fair because The Avengers is relying on the star power of like six different superheroes and six different stars. This movie
0: is just Batman. Well, I, I think a lot of the success of this movie honestly has to do with Heath Ledger. Not taking anything away from Christian Bale or the character of Batman, obviously. But I mean, one of the things I noticed on the Blu-ray is that on the cover, it's a picture of Heath Ledger. Uh-huh. Which I think is yeah. very interesting. You know, when you're talking about the title character, is not pictured on the cover, so... I wonder if a lot of that, though, isn't
1: marketing because he passed away after yeah. this film and they really capitalized on that. And I think yeah. Heath Ledger was capitalized on that, too. I mean, this was his final movie.
0: That's a big deal. Yeah, but I think Heath Ledger is what makes this movie great for me. And and I would have felt that way even if he didn't die. I mean, it's, it's obviously tragic that he passed away after making this movie, but his performance in this film is fantastic. And... It's the reason I want to keep coming back to watch it and certainly was worthy of all the accolades that he received uh, posthumously.
1: You know, I think the first time I saw this movie, I did not feel that way. I went, I don't know what all the fuss is about, but as I've seen it several times and just watching it again last night, the licking of the lips, the tics that he has for this character are
0: just so nuanced and just beautifully done. Yeah. There was a show on recently on, I want to say it was TNT called I Am Heath Ledger. It was actually very interesting. It was a lot of his old friends from Australia and other actors and stuff, and they were basically talking about what his life was like. And intertwined in that were like home movies that he shot because he was a very creative guy. And that's what a lot of people may not realize about Heath Ledger. Aside from being a terrific actor, the guy was really, really talented as an artist, as a photographer. Um, I think if he were alive now, he probably would be a great director as well. In fact, in the movie, there's a couple of um, things that the Joker sends to the news organization in the movie where he's, you know, tormenting the guy dressed as Batman in one. And then the other one, he's got Anthony Michael Hall as a hostage, you know. the Yeah, they're
1: glorified home movies, essentially.
0: Right. But those were actually directed by Heath Ledger for the movie. Uh, Christopher Nolan let him direct those himself. And they're pretty cool. But I mean, you know, he directed a music video and some other stuff before he passed away. I think he would have been, he would have gone on to be a very uh, popular and, and talented director as well. But... This show that I was, I was talking about, his friend was describing, you know, when Heath told him that he was offered the role of Joker, he's like, oh, really? I don't know, man. Jack Nicholson was pretty great in the, you know, and when Tim Burton did Batman, you want to follow that? And he goes, how are you going to do it? Heath Letcher goes, you want to know how I got these scars? And he, and he did the voice. And his oh, friend nice. was like, oh, my God. He was f- <laughs> flipping out. He said, you know, Heath just really went all out preparing for the role, coming up with his own version of the character. I was reading online that Christopher Nolan had plans for Heath
1: Ledger in the third movie, but that, of course, didn't pan out. Right.
0: It's interesting. I thought Batman Begins was pretty good, too, the first of the three Christopher Nolan Dark Knight movies. Yes. Um, This is by far the best one, and hence why we're talking about it. And I thought the last one obviously had moments that were really good. Maybe I have to watch it again, but I felt it was a little disjointed at times. The third one? Yeah.
1: It was a different set there's no doubt about it but I would I was reading about how um, Christopher Nolan had like a one-word theme for each movie like the first one was fear the second one was chaos the one with Heath Ledger mm-hmm. and then the third one was pain which is pain for Batman so it was fear of Batman then it was chaos for Batman then it was pain for Batman so different themes playing through each of the films and I think, boy, this one, chaos certainly was
0: captured. Oh, absolutely. I think my problem with the third movie is that anytime you have a superhero movie where there's more than one villain going on, that tends to make things a little, I don't want to say confusing, but too much going on maybe. And it's happened before with the Spider-Man series. So and that, maybe that's the problem, but maybe I just need to watch it again and, and maybe I'll appreciate it more watching it another time. But the problem with these movies is that they're really long, so it's a, it's a real-time commitment. You know, as my wife would call them, an ass-flattener. You know, this movie runs <laughs> like, you know, two and a half hours or whatever it is. You're definitely in for a long haul if you're going to watch one of these movies. But they're, they're very well done, no question. Yeah, one of the things I like about each of the Batman movies
1: is that the villain always plays the henchman. In the opening sequence of this movie, yeah. we don't know who the Joker is, but he's just one of the guys robbing the bank. Yeah. Then he ends up being the Joker. Yeah, And they did the same thing in each of the movies. So that was an interesting That's true. way to introduce the villain.
0: Yeah. So Heath Ledger uh, posthumously won a total of 32 Best Supporting Actor awards, including the Oscar, Golden Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice Award. The movie also won an Oscar, as you mentioned before, for Best Sound Editing and was nominated for Cinematography, Film Editing, Art Direction, Makeup, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. It's the comic book film with the most Oscar nominations. And I think it was because of this movie that they introduced 10 Best Picture nominations the next year and then going forward. Because it used to be just five, I think, or something like that. Right. Uh huh. And because this movie and there was another movie that was really well received that didn't get any nominations, the Academy said, you know what, maybe we need to open this up a little bit more so there's more possibilities. Now, I don't know if a comic book movie could ever win Best Picture, because I think a lot of people just don't take them seriously enough. But, I mean, you think about the work And the dedication and everything else that goes into making these movies, I think they're worthy.
1: Well, I think any movie that is put out there, especially one that makes such a tremendous amount of money, I know that the Academy Awards aren't based on box office. Right. But the reality is, and I think you and I have talked about this before, Matt Damon says that they should give out Oscars 10 years after the movie has been out to see if it has legs, you know, if it yeah. if it can stand the test of time, then it was a good movie. And this one
0: certainly does that yeah. 10 years later, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a very good point because there's a lot of movies that, that fail at the box office or fail with critics that I've enjoyed and that have found an audience later on, you know, because of either cable or video or whatever, that sometimes for whatever reason, they just don't find an audience when they're in theaters timing, whatever it is. This one is both. I think it, it obviously crushed at the theater, but it I think it's done well in every other format as well. And like you said, it stands the test of time.
1: And it's a real roller coaster ride too. Mm-hmm. Watching it again last night. It's almost like the uh, you know you start off on a roller coaster and it go up and down and up and down. but each time you go up and down, you're going up higher mm-hmm. till the end where it climaxes and then you're on the thrill ride down. It re- is really a well
0: done movie. Yeah, it really is. And you know you got to give credit to Christopher Nolan not only for the, the direction but for um, you know his writing. If you don't have a good script, it doesn't matter how many effects you put in a movie, how many great performances, you got to have the story. And that's what I think makes this movie hold up so well
1: and the nuanced performances from everybody. Oh, yeah. I know we'll probably talk about this later, but uh, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes... This is so fresh in my mind, Jason, from watching it last night. One of my favorite scenes in this movie mm-hmm. is Reese, the the accountant, uh-huh. who decides to hold the meeting with Morgan Freeman, right. uh, Lucius Fox, and he pulls out the uh, blueprints for the Batmobile and, and says, Did you recognize this? And da-da-da. I found mm-hmm. some discrepancies in the accounting. I want $10 million a year Every year for the rest of my life. Right. And, and Lucius Fox says, Wait, so you think the owner of this company is a man who dresses up and beats the pulp out of bad guys every night, and your plan is to blackmail him? Yeah. <laughs> that I is love a great that scene. scene. It's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, that shuts him up pretty quick. Yeah. It's kind of cool too, because I mean, you know, everybody recognizes Morgan Freeman as this great actor, uh, obviously, and he is. But he has a a very small role in this movie, but it's impactful, and uh, he's great. Well, he's the
1: voice of reason as well. The scene in the end when they're using all the cell phones for sonar, this is almost a a precursor to the NSA listening to all of our cell phone devices. And he's saying, I can't be a party to this. This is not something that we can do. Yeah, it's unethical. Yeah, he destroys it in the end, which yeah. is uh, sort of a message to the NSA. And I th- I think this happened before the whole NSA thing. So that was, yep. or, like I said, it's
0: precursor. Yep. I don't want to, like, uh, gloss over Heath Ledger completely. I mean, you know, I know we've already sung his praises, but there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. In preparing for the role as the Joker... He stayed alone in a motel room for about six weeks. He devoted himself to developing the Joker's every tick, as you mentioned, which you said, like you said, is very nuanced, there's, you know, yes. all kinds of stuff to look for, uh, namely the voice and the laugh. He really went out of his way to, to do something that was very different from what Jack Nicholson did with the role. You gotta make the role your own. So uh, I think he did a great job of doing that. And. They said that his interpretation of the Joker's appearance was sort of based on a couple of different people. Sid Vicious from The Sex Pistols, combined with the psychotic mannerisms of Malcolm McDowell's character Alex from A Clockwork Orange. And Sir Michael Caine, who himself is an Oscar winner and of course, you know, a very renowned actor. He feels that Heath Ledger's performance is better than Jack Nicholson, mainly because he kind of saw Jack Nicholson as like a clown figure. You know, like maybe a killer old uncle as opposed to like a really psychotic guy like Heath plays it. He just felt like people were really going to be blown away by Heath's performance, and obviously they were.
1: Well, and at one point, he was blown away by Heath's performance in the uh, the scene in the penthouse where uh, he's terrorizing the rich people, yeah. uh, the
0: Joker. Yeah. Uh,
1: Michael Caine forgot his lines because <laughs> Heath Ledger was so terrorizing.
0: Yeah, and that's saying something, you know, because he's a pro. I mean, he's in everything, he's, you know? That's right, yeah. I read too that he did his
1: own makeup. He said, well, of course he would do his own makeup because right. he's the Joker and he'd just buy it off the shelf and put it on and that's right. the craziness of it
0: all. And that's the thing about the Joker's makeup. He's clearly just throwing something on his face. There's anarchy in his makeup even.
1: Yeah, I think that goes back to the word that Christopher Nolan had for the movie, yeah. chaos. Yeah, he's got, he's got chaos written all over his face.
0: Literally, <laughs> yeah. And I love how he keeps changing the story of how he got the scars and stuff too,
1: and they don't go into that, which I think is great because it leaves him this enigma in the movie that it you know you're just you just can't put your finger on it you're going, why is he telling different stories what's all what's the backstory?" And I'm glad that we don't know because it leaves it up to a mystery,
0: yeah, and I, well, I think part of it is probably because he wants to keep people guessing, but maybe he doesn't even know it's just you know he's that crazy, yeah. You know, I
1: read that Barack Obama used the scene. You know, the scene where the Joker is in with the, all of the mob guys, mm-hmm. and he's talking about burning the place to the ground. And Barack Obama used that scene as a um, as a presentation to say the Joker is ISIS. Yeah, and that that's you know that's pretty big deal when you trying to get your point across and you're using a film a comic book film if you will absolutely and it, do, and it effectively does the job way to go barack obama
0: yeah well that's the thing alfred michael kane's character tells that story about the guy who was robbing the, the yeah robbing all the jewels and and he didn't even care about the the money or the the jewels he just wanted to watch the the world burn and right. yeah that certainly seems like what isis is all about and clearly what uh the joker is about in this movie too There was all kinds of rumors too about Heath Ledger's death being caused by him taking on this role. It was such an intense performance and an intense getting into character that it made him depressed and everything else. His family has squashed those rumors. Um, They said he actually really enjoyed playing the role. Obviously there was a lot of preparation that went into it and you you really have to go to a, a very dark place to play this character the way he did. The reality is that Heath Ledger was a a really bad insomniac and he used to take sleeping pills and other medications to try and sleep better. Unfortunately, the night that he passed away was because he took too many of the wrong things together. And his sister, you know, had warned him about being careful about that.
1: That's why you got to ask the doctor, can I take this with that? Because it might have some serious side effect.
0: And that's exactly
1: what happened to Heath Ledger, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: The licking of the lips was uh, a thing that you mentioned earlier as one of the tics that he does. One of the things they talked about in the special was that he did that because the prosthetic that made up the scars on his face would come undone without that. So he he actually what, incorporated the licking of the lips to keep... So it would help the, the scar like on his face to, to not come undone and have to be replaced. Needed the reapplied. moisture, apparently. Yes.
1: You know, this movie won an Academy Award for sound editing, and one of the things that the sound that really stands out to me and i think this has to do with being in radio and and listening to audio really intently but it it's his lip smacking Mm -hmm. because he was such a lip smacker Mm -hmm. in this movie too you know yeah and he would do that all the time and (laughs) while one might find it annoying in his character it was just one of those ticks that
0: you went oh he's one of those guys you know that guys that was great it actually adds to the character Because, like you said, it is something that is probably annoying to more people than not, let's face it. And, like you said, it's so prominent in the audio soundtrack, it's disturbing. And he's got those yellow teeth, and he's just, he's like, oh, man. Now, I'm not (laughs) sure, did you hear that Heath Ledger was a method
1: actor, or was he just into his role? I mean, there are some characters that get into their role, like uh, the guy who won the Oscar for Lincoln. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis becomes that character for the entire shooting of the film. So, like, he was Abe Lincoln for six months or whatever it was. And he does that with every film that he does. Yeah, I'm not sure if Heath Ledger was that way or if he was just taking on the character and got himself sequestered away for
0: six weeks while he built the character in his mind. Yeah, I don't think he was his method. I think that, like you said, he prepared immensely for the role i think it was sort of a muscle memory thing he, he did all that preparation ahead of time and then when he was on set obviously he could dial into that and lock himself in i remember reading something about um, one of the scenes that he did with harvey dent where he got really fired up before the camera started rolling he was like talking to himself as the joker and, and doing you know kind of getting into it and then they did a take and then right after the take he said to him now that's acting you know like or something like that there you go that's how you do a scene or something like that out of character so obviously you know he wasn't walking around going call me joker you know like i mean daniel day lewis literally was walking around expecting people to address him as abraham lincoln on that
1: you know one of my favorite scenes in this movie though is when he's blowing up the hospital that's terrific he he comes out of the hospital and he starts beating the crap out of that detonating device which was not supposed to
0: happen I read that it didn't go off the way it was supposed to or something, and him beating it was an ad-lib. And then, of course, the explosion goes off, and then he reacts. Right, and he runs off. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, that's a great piece.
1: That it, it and turns a very serious moment mm-hmm.
0: of this hospital being destroyed right. into a little bit of levity. I love everything about that scene is great. The way he looks in that nurse outfit with the wig, the way he <laughs> walks... It's so good, and it's it's funny and disturbing all at the same time. And one of the things that I think is cool is that his name tag reads Matilda, his daughter's name. So it was a little shout out to her, which I think is cool. When they were filming the chase scene with the Joker and the SWAT vans, one of only four IMAX cameras in the world was destroyed oh. during that, which has got to be a bummer for making the movie.
1: Whoa. It's a huge bummer because it, it costs five hundred thousand dollars to replace that IMAX oh. camera. Yeah. Hey, and here's an interesting bit of trivia: they destroyed another IMAX camera in the next Batman movie. No. Wow. Yeah, yeah a Catwoman on the uh, on the motorcycle on the Bat Pod. Oh uh, no. They They wrecked one there, too. Unbelievable that that could happen twice. Expensive movies. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the great things about this movie are the practical effects, as opposed to the CGI stuff, which you get in almost everything today. There were definitely some CGI moments, but really, it was the practical effects that made this movie seem more realistic to me, more
0: believable. Oh, absolutely. Harvey Dent's burnt face was all done with CGI. And even though you're praising the the practical effects as opposed to a lot of the CGI, that's one case where I think the CGI is a better thing. And the reason for that, and I think it's actually kind of a cool thing, Christopher Nolan didn't want to use prosthetics for that because no matter how good they might have been, it's still adding something to an actor's face that's supposed to be missing. Yeah. That stuff... Is amazing. I mean, his face when it's all burnt off. In that case, the CGI is great because
1: they could take the muscles and the tongue and you could see everything moving inside there. Yeah. And there's this great scene where he takes the shot glass off the bar and drinks it and it pours out the side of yes. his mouth where he, he doesn't have a mouth anymore. Yeah, that was great.
0: The only thing that I think is a little weird about that is that if your face was really mangled like that, would you be able to talk as well? Yeah, probably not. The interesting thing about this movie, with all the explosions and, you know, whatever, fighting and everything else, there's not a lot of blood. Blood is on screen three times. Yeah, uh, one time is uh, on the Um, pillow
1: after Harvey Dent burns his face.
0: mm -hmm. Batman's arm uh, after the dog attacks him. And then uh, the civilian Batman that the Joker hangs uh, is on his face. So most of the violence is either off screen or, you know, different camera angles and things like that. So uh, Bruce Wayne's penthouse was actually shot on the ground floor of an office building, which I think is kind of interesting, in downtown Chicago. During the daytime, the same space was reused for Harvey Dent's press conference scenes. There you go, getting the most bang for your buck, right? Well,
1: speaking of banging, you know the opening (laughs) sequence where that school bus backs into the bank um, and, and hits one of the henchmen? They actually had to do that inside, so they cut the bus in half, and then they put up a fake wall... And then they pushed the bus through the fake wall with an air hammer so that they could get the practical scene of the school bus coming in. It was uh, an old post office they were shooting in. That's cool.
0: You know, a lot of times when they make a big movie like this, they usually have a fake name for it so they don't attract paparazzi and and other undesirables to the set. Right. So when production began on this movie, Rory's First Kiss (laughs) was the title that they used. Till the Bat- the shows
1: up, until the Batmobile shows right. up, and then, then all bets are off.
0: But I think it's funny they named it after Christopher Nolan's son, which is kind of uh. cool. <laughs> Another cool fact about the soundtrack, we don't talk about scoring nearly enough on the podcast, except for the real obvious ones, like when I did the podcast for Jaws. Of course, we talked about it then, because the score for Jaws is what makes you believe in a gigantic shark before you ever see the shark. I mean, it's, it's amazing but it's often sort of overlooked, you know, how important scoring is and how it really sets the tone of the movie, but this movie is one of only five films whose purely orchestral soundtracks won the Grammy Award for Best Score despite not being nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score. Uh, The other four films, 1959's Anatomy of a Murder, 1989's Glory, Crimson Tide from 1995, and the 1996 film Independence Day. And that was definitely mentioned on the Independence Day podcast as well. But it's definitely worth mentioning again that it's pretty amazing when you think about it. It's something that's Grammy worthy, but the Oscars completely overlooked. When we think of scoring, obviously we, you can't help but think of uh, John Williams and all the great scores he's done for the Star Wars movies, Superman, E.T., Indiana Jones, all those. And Jaws, like I mentioned. Yeah, but, you Hawk know, this...
1: Zimmer is making a name for himself as well.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of guys. Danny Elfman too. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just read about there's a new movie called Score. It's It's a documentary about these guys that that create these amazing soundtracks that I want to see
1: you know that music is like a direct connection to your emotion which mm-hmm. I think is just a, a piece of movie magic but you and I are both audio guys and I think yeah. that audio is so important I mean if you've ever shot a video on your iPhone and you go oh my gosh that sounds horrible you know <laughs> if you could just lay in some real audio underneath it it sounds fantastic Audio is important.
0: Yeah, I mean, would we feel the same emotions of Rocky running up those steps without Gonna Fly Now? Absolutely not. Direct connection to your emotion. Yeah. The Dark Knight trilogy is one of three trilogies to be charted in the IMDb top 250 movies. The others, the original Star Wars trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, there's definitely an impact with Batman movies. There's no question about it. I think the reason that Batman succeeds so much with us as people is because he's not a superhero he's not he doesn't have superpowers. that's right he's a normal guy he's a normal guy with a lot of cool gadgets and uh, a will you know to 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 make a really good
1: bank account yeah but I mean (laughs) no
0: I mean listen and all that stuff I think in the movie is very cool with him asking Lucius to give him a different suit so he could turn his head and everything else and protect him against the dog bites And then the Joker sticks the dogs on him, and it looks like he is protected. So it's kind of cool. They kind of do a a callback to that original thing in the beginning.
1: Well, they did a good job, too, I think, uh, in that particular dog fight scene, because there are three Rottweilers that uh, attack him. Mm -hmm. But they did a good job of not hurting the dogs. Yes. So instead of killing the dogs, he throws them off into a net, which I thought was great, because, you know, the
0: animal people would be going crazy over that. I don't know what it is about movies. Anytime a dog gets hurt... I don't want to see it. I didn't watch John Wick because I I heard a puppy gets killed. It's true. Yeah, I mean, and they show it, right? (laughs) Yeah. See, I can't watch that. I understand if Batman is being attacked by Rottweilers, he's going to obviously defend himself. But you're right. They don't show anything graphic. They don't show him kill the dogs or anything like that. They just show him kind of get tossed aside.
1: They're tossed into a net, and I think they end up on the lower floor.
0: The Dark Knight. Almost 10 years old, still as, as fresh and as great as it was the first time I saw it personally. And uh, I, I could go on and on about how much I love Heath Ledger in this movie. And it always makes me sad when somebody with so much potential and who is so brilliant, and obviously he's done other movies where he was just as brilliant. Uh, it's It just makes me sad that he's gone, you know? Yep. Because who knows where his career would have gone from here.
1: You know, though, there is something to dying young in Hollywood. Because we don't have to watch them age. We don't have to watch them suffer. We don't have to watch them do terrible movies. There's something to it. They live on forever in the
0: state as we remember them. Better to burn out than fade away. Amen. Well, less. Thanks so much for taking the time. I always appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you for listening. Please remember to like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Screen Facts. Let us know if you have a favorite scene from the movie that we didn't talk about. If you have any other comments, you can post on Facebook or you can email screenfacts at yahoo.com. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Davis Voice. Les, where can people find you on social media? I'm everywhere
1: at Les Sinclair.
0: Okay. If you're listening with iTunes, please leave a review. Show theme music by Audionautics.com, And thanks to our announcer, Kim McKay from kimsvoice.com.
1: Yay, Kim. Screen Facts with Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.